If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right. You are listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk. And yes, I am your host, Todd Huff. Email, as always, folks, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. So long as Facebook allows us, so long as Facebook allows us to keep our Facebook page up and running after how they've handled Trump and so forth lately, who knows what will happen there, but so far as I know, we're still up and running at Facebook.com slash Todd Show. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Oh, boy. A couple things I want to get to today. Um, first and foremost, Kamala Harris is now out of the campaign. She's hanging it up, not able to raise the funds necessary to... Uh, what to, to launch and to have a not to, to launch but to continue I guess a successful presidential campaign so she's out of the race we'll talk about that also last night my wife Danielle and I had the good pleasure of attending uh, an event a gala for Right to Life Indiana and for those of you that listen to this program every day for those of you that don't uh, you need to reevaluate your priorities and make sure that you get this program tuned in every day. But for those that listen every day, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we interviewed or had a conversation with Ashley Bratcher. She was uh, speaking at this event last night, and I have some things I want to say about that. Truly, truly phenomenal. I just, uh, I was thoroughly impressed, and I want to talk about the event. I want to talk about Right to Life. Indiana. I want to talk about the issue of abortion and where it stands uh, today on the political landscape. But I want to start off here, and there's other things we want to get to as well. Those are the two biggie, uh, two biggies today. But Kamala Harris ending, as Politico says, her once promising campaign. In fact, I have a good friend, a good friend that for some time had told me long ago, before you know, before 2020, uh, this campaign began. Uh, began. He said that. Kamala Harris would be the Democrat nominee for president of the United States, and of course that is no longer possible. But I mean, I, I could certainly have seen that uh, back in over the course of time. Of course, watching the campaign, you know, watching the campaign to me, she comes across as the most angry, <clears throat> arguably unlikable candidates that I've seen in some time. I think genuinely. She is not likable on that debate stage. Uh, she has, 
And I think part of it is by design. You know, I, I mentioned in the past that to run as the nominee for the Democrat Party in 2020, you have to have a lot of anger. That's what that's what a chunk of your base expects, because after all, the United States of America had its election in 2016 stolen from the Democrat Party by Donald J. Trump. This is the narrative, of course. He did this by colluding with Russia. Vladimir Putin himself, they went to the Kremlin. Trump probably flew over there in his trademark. What does he have? A seven? I don't even know what it is. Seven thirty-seven. I don't know what that is that he that he flies the the Trump airplane. Lands it in Moscow, gets off the plane, goes to the Kremlin, meets Vladimir Putin. They exchange some some pleasantries. They squeeze one another's hand. Did you see that handshake? By the way, I love Trump and Macron yesterday, uh, which I, I don't think had happened by the time this program aired yesterday. But that was an interesting uh, interesting exchange. And of course, we've got to talk about the handshake. Macron going in. All tough guy squeezing. We got white knuckles on this handshake between Macron and Trump yesterday. Probably had it between Trump and Putin, too, except for their buddies, apparently. That's what they want us to believe. And so they might have high-fived each other instead. I don't know. But Trump gets off the airplane, goes to the the Kremlin, the smoke-filled Kremlin, some back room to, to plan how to steal the election from Hillary. They pop open some... Vodka. They sit back there laughing at their sinister plan. Probably sounds like any villain in any uh, movie that you may have seen throughout history. That was the scene. That was the scene. And, of course, Trump tells us he doesn't drink, but we know he drinks. We know he had to have vodka back there with, with Putin. I mean, this this is the kind of narrative, right? This is the kind of narrative that, that we're supposed to believe. And so if that is what your base believes, your candidate has to be, has to be, Angry. I think to a certain degree that's what that's what the radical left wants is an angry candidate. I'm not talking mildly displeased. I'm talking angry. I'm talking a little bit of attitude. I'm talking a little bit of swagger. Because that's the other thing. They think, well, Trump comes out here and turns the political process on its head. The way that he you know, the the, the things that he says and does. The way that he has these tense exchanges with, say, Macron yesterday, just as an example, the way that all this stuff plays out uh, before the eyes of the American people, you know, Trump uh, getting on our allies to pay for their fair share. How dare he do that, to pay for their military obligations, supporting NATO and so forth? How dare Trump do that, right? Should make you mad. And therefore, we've got a Kamala Harris candidacy, but it didn't succeed. It didn't succeed. So you can you can be angry without seeming I, I guess you you can have displays of anger without coming across as a person who's consumed by anger. And that, in my estimation, was one of the problems of Kamala Harris. She didn't have uh, that that was the, the entire feel from her candidacy, so far as I saw it. And I'm 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 using maybe a little bit of exaggeration to a point, but if I had to write down the top two or three words, actually, if I had to write down the top one word to describe her candidacy, I would have said, I would say angry. I would say angry. And I think that 
part of that is intentional because that's that's what the base one. Now, now this is uh, turned into some pundits jumping in. This is at the dailycaller.com. They're jumping in in the wake of Kamala Harris dropping out of the, the, the race here. Headline in this uh, piece, this reporter uh, at the Daily Caller, Peter Hassan, says this, lefty pundits rage at whiteness of Democrats' 2020 candidates after Kamala drops out. So apparently, and I hadn't looked yet at who was who had qualified for the next debate, now that Kamala Harris has dropped out of the debate, this uh, Judd, and I'm going to apologize for the last name, Legum, L-E-G-U-M, he's a writer, a leftist, commentator he i think he tweeted this or this might actually this might just have been in something he had written online harris dropping out leaves the democrats with an all-white debate stage for december listing the names of the candidates here biden sanders warren steyer Buttigieg, and klobuchar well he's listed warren here my cousin liz she's she is make-believe native american so I don't know where she falls on that scale, on that uh, you know, on on that that particular continuum as far as her whiteness, I guess, is concerned. She's one two thousand and twenty fourth Native American, at least according to her DNA ancestry or whatever it was, some sort of a test that she had taken that she was bragging about on social media when she told her husband to get me a beer as she launched her candidacy. The stuff, the identity politics in this country that is is truly mind blowing to me. The things that resonate with voters. Get me a beer. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Warren, and I'm one two thousand and twenty fourth Native American. Just crazy stuff. It's why, by the way, I say, and I'm looking around, looking around here. I don't see it, but the genealogy. We have a genealogy in, in my family conducted by a professional genealogist that goes back and shows that. I am, in fact, the 13th great-grandson of Pocahontas, which, by the way, is cool. It's a very interesting story. It's a very interesting – I mean, in fact, my my kids and I were watching some history documentary the other day, and it showed John Rolfe coming across the Atlantic Ocean on a ship. He's related to us, right, the the husband of of Pocahontas, right? He was one of the leaders at at Jamestown, the original – settlement there in, in northern Virginia. Anyway, so we have we have all this stuff, um, all this stuff with, with with identity politics, and now we're talking about the whiteness of the Democrats debate stage because those names that I read off are the are the ones who have currently qualified for for the debate in December, which now of course is based upon polling numbers and on amounts of dollars raised. And so they're all they're all white. And that's a problem for the Democrats. Remember when the well, they didn't do this much in 2016 because Republicans actually uh, fielded a very diverse um, ethnically racially diverse group of candidates. We had Bobby Jindal, uh, Indian American, we had Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. We had Ben Carson. We had Carly Fiorina as as a as a female candidate. There were lots of there were lots of folks from different 
walks of life. And by the way, good thing. I mean, here's here's the problem with with fixating too much on this. Number one, when you're talking about an you know a handful of people, a handful of people, statistics kind of goes out the window to a point because we're not talking about laws of averages. We're talking about people who have worked themselves to the, say the top, if you want to look at it that way, the top of the Democrat party in this particular example. And so it's it's kind of hard to get too fixated on that because we're talking about actually choosing an individual to run the country, not say Congress would be, I guess, a different a different way to look at it, the makeup of, of, of Congress. But Nonetheless, it's also different to me to say that a person of a certain race or ethnicity just hasn't gotten the nomination versus that's the reason that they haven't. It's not the reason. I mean, are the Democrats going to admit that the reason Kamala Harris is out of the race is because they are racist sexist? I mean, that is – that's uh, – no, they're, they're not. And by the way, neither are Republicans when we don't vote for, say, Hillary Clinton in 2016 – or Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, right? It wasn't because he, Obama was uh, was black or Hillary was, was a female, but they want that pressure on the voting public when it comes to the general election, especially if it's a, a white man in the case of running against, uh, you know, Obama ran against McCain and against Mitt Romney. Hillary, of course, ran against Trump. So they want to use those those issues, but this is something that the left fixates on. And now, and now when you look at the debate stage, something that they criticize and mock Republicans, Republican groups for, for the lack of ethnic and racial diversity. Now you look across their debate stage, and the closest thing they have to a racial minority, ethnic uh, diversity on that stage, is a make believe Native American in Elizabeth Warren. And this is problematic for them identity politics. Because candidly, it's really all that they've, all that they've got. I mean, really, that and their their hatred for Trump, and that and their anger on that debate stage, which is what Kamala Harris was trying to tap into unsuccessfully during her campaign. But that's what they've got, folks. Anyway, maybe a little bit more on Kamala Harris, the Democrat, the state of the Democrat debate or uh, field, as it's as it's dwindling, and you have to wonder who's next here. I saw Cory Booker out begging for money on on TV. I saw Joe Biden. I tell you what, every one of his emails feels like a. I mean, really, it feels like a beggar. Uh, I mean, it, it's it, he's begging. It truly is not a well run campaign. I probably get. I'm gonna guess. I get two to three emails from them a day. I'd have to check on this. It feel, I, I I'm pretty. I know it's at least daily, and I feel like it's multiple a day. Or maybe that's just the psychological effect it has because they're so. Pathetic. But anyway, talk more about this when we return. Also, want to get to this Right to Life Indiana event that I went to last night with Ashley Bratcher, which I thought she was absolutely phenomenal. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, that issue in the uh, current political climate. But have to take a uh, quick time out here. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I should advise you that listening to this program can, in fact, cause you to lean to the right. In fact, 98% of scientists will tell you that they believe that to be true. That's even 1% more than believe that man is contributing to climate change. So sit tight. Keep in mind that you are probably leaning right at the moment. 
Be safe out there. Be back in just a minute. Looking at this tweet from a guy named Jed Legum, L-E-G-U-M, leftist. I referenced part of this tweet earlier. He says, Harris dropping out leaves the Democrats with an all-white debate stage for December, Biden, Sanders, Warren, Steyer, Buttigieg, Klobuchar. He continues by, <laughs> by saying, sorry, just humors me. The Democratic Party has created a process with uh, I guess I should say which includes. It says with includes. I guess this is what happens when you are seeing red, uh, when you look up and only see white on your debate stage. But he says that uh, the Democratic Party has created a process which – I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here – which includes Steyer but excludes Cory Booker. Congrats! <laughs> Exclamation point. Congrats, Democrats. You have become exactly what we've accused the Republican Party of being for generations. You are uh, – you're the party of, of rich, white people effectively. Yes, one of them is a make-believe Native American. We know that. We can't even defend that any longer. Um, you know, I, She's you know, maybe a thousand – one one-thousand-twenty-fourth Native American. They're not even defending that. But – Look, I don't want to defend the Democrat Party here. Please do not misunderstand me. The Democrat Party is an ideological mess. The Democrat Party is now openly embracing what I consider to be a morally bankrupt worldview and ideology, that being socialism. The Democrat Party has pitted groups of Americans against one another for a long, long time. That's the basis of this of the of, of what identity politics is. Right? You you have to agree with this person if they're a different, you know, if they're a racial minority or ethnic minority. If you don't, you are walking precariously close to the possibility of being accused of being racist. Of course, just by simply saying you're a conservative Republican, this is so permeated culture today in media that you're already considered, in the minds of many, a racist when you say I'm a conservative, constitutional conservative. That's how far this has gone off the rails. And so now they look up on the stage. They see Joe Biden, a white guy, not just a white guy, a white guy that was going to beat Corn Pop with the six-foot chain, right? Listen to that sound bite yesterday. In fact, we're going to have to revive that thing because that, that sound bite may be – I was telling my wife this. That may be my favorite Joe Biden speech ever. I mean, yeah, we got stand up, Chuck. I, I we got that. I that's uh, that's a pretty big uh, faux pas. We got him shaking hands with Obama after Obamacare was signed into law. Uh, caught on mic saying it's a big blanking deal. Uh, we've got. I mean, we've got Biden doing all kinds of stuff. We got Biden giving unwarranted massages to women, uh, children that are fleeing his presence. We've got him sniffing. The, the hair of of different women that have have shared this, this story about him. Uh, it's apparently something that Biden does, and we've got corn pop. Corn pop has to be my my favorite. I mean, Biden's 
out there telling us about how he was going to fight Corn Pop in the parking lot. Corn Pop uh, was a, a, a black man in the 60s who apparently uh, was going to knife Joe Biden in the parking lot, he and a couple of others, grabbing a couple of old straight razors, Biden said, nicking them up. I love how he talked to his audience, by the way, too, like like they knew. Like they knew that this is what happened back in the 60s in, in Baltimore. You would you would grab straight razors and nick them up on the sidewalk, soak them in buckets of water, get them all rusty, so you could apparently not just inflict a cut wound, but also tetanus in the process on your victim. Joe Biden tells us that the only the only white guy that worked at the pool, whatever relevance that had, the lone white guy told him, Joe, take a piece of this chain from the pool, the pool that separated the shallow end from the deep end. Chain, six foot, six foot. <laughs> Joe Biden's out there like an American gladiator swinging this six foot piece of chain around going after corn pop and then biden tells the audience you know he was right i should have gone out there should have gone out there with that chain right so you got you got that white guy who's i tell you the whole corn pop speech i asked my my wife this too what what has trump said ever that's remotely as crazy as what i listened to over the course of a couple of minutes with joe biden telling me he's got a six foot piece of chain going out into the parking lot with Corn Pop and a couple of guys from his crew who have chinked up straight razors, dipped them in water, gotten them all rusty, ready to take Joe Biden down in the parking lot. What on earth? That's one of their candidates, folks. By the way, it's it's a candidate that they've said, we don't want this guy on the stage very much. It's a candidate that's constantly begging for money. It's a candidate on paper and again, I'm not defending any of these ridiculous things that he said or done, but just based upon name recognition being being tied to Obama, right? The, uh, the the Democrats think that the Obama years were fantastic. You would think that he would be running away with this. He's not an open socialist. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. But that's one of your candidates. And you got you've got Bernie Sanders up there. Bernie Sanders has never met a giveaway that he does not that he doesn't like. Free college, you got it. Free health care, no problem. Free housing, free food, entitlement, entitlement, open socialism, you got it. You, I mean, whatever. You, you, it doesn't matter what the price tag is on these things. It doesn't matter the concept of how you reconcile one American being responsible for providing something to another American that they don't know under legal obligation – Right, the force of law. Government is force. Bernie Sanders wants to make all these things part of part of the the law, part of the culture, part of the economy. All of that stuff doesn't matter. Just somebody wants it. Bernie Sanders is going to provide it at the expense of somebody who's succeeded economically, someone who's made a living. Probably a lot of these folks, a lot of these folks struggled themselves during their uh, before they gained wealth now bernie is going to take it no problem same thing with elizabeth warren she agrees basically with the same economic concepts that bernie sanders is up there proclaiming from the debate stage proclaiming from the podium says the same thing except she not only not only does she believe those things she wants you to believe she's just one of the average joes here in the country Maybe average Susie. Don't want to be sexist here on the program, but just an average person. 
doing an Instagram talk, telling her husband to grab me a beer, honey. I'm going to tell the people I'm running for president of these here United States of America. Pop open the beer, tell her she's a Native American, and the DNA proves it because she might be one two one two thousand and twenty fourth Native American. I mean, crazy. I'm sorry, the two thousand. It is two thousand and twenty fourth. I think I've been saying one. Did I say one thousand and twenty fourth? No, it's one two thousand and twenty fourth. She's actually less Native American than many people. I think than the average person uh, genetically is in this country. This country today. So that's a candidate. Then then they've got the problem of like a Bloomberg coming in. Right, Bloomberg comes in and throws a wrench in the gears. First of all, this guy's not even going to be on the debate stage. Think about this, unless they change the rules. He's already polling at, what, 6%, which isn't great or anything, but it catapults him ahead of a lot of these folks who have been struggling to get 2%, which is even the requirement to get on the debate stage. But he's not going to be on the debate stage because he's not going to have enough donors because he's not taking money from donors because why? He's a billionaire, He's actually the problem in the, in the minds and the eyes of, of the Democratic Party. He's the problem with America today. He is the representation for a party that is, is so deeply rooted with this leadership today in, in, in identity politics. They're, they're putting a guy into the race who epitomizes who they believe is the well, – what they believe is the problem with America today, billionaires. Anyway – I could go through, I mean, name by Klobuchar. Who the heck is Amy Klobuchar? Nobody knows. No one's going to know. Cory Booker's not going to make the debate stage. And by the way, to this guy who's tweeting here, it's not because of his race. It's because he knew the rules going in and he's not succeeded. That's just the way that it goes. I know that the Democrats, the radical left anyway, has been giving out trophies to everyone for everything since the 1980s. But that's not how this works. There has to be some sort of objective, uh, objective standard, and, and Cory Booker's not making meeting that standard. That's just life. It's not because of his race. Not because of his race. It's because he failed. And by the way, if it is because of his race, it's not because of the Republicans. We're over here minding our own business. I'm, I'm sure Trump's responsible for this in the minds of the radical left. Anyway, I'm long in this segment. Long in this segment. I have to take a break. When we get back, I want to shift gears here a little bit, talk about this event that I went to last night, wonderful event, uh, Right to Life Indiana, Ashley Bratcher. We'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the issue front and center for the uh, Right to Life Indiana and uh, for many of you as well. We'll talk about that when we return, but I've got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. So, uh, sorry, some things happen here behind the scenes that uh, I something just tickled me here. I can't even, it's just something that I saw. There's no way to articulate or explain it, but uh, got me chuckling here. But anyway, so talking about these Democrat candidates, um, you know, I just want to wrap it up and say the reason, the reason that we have this, I don't know, uh, well, the problem that we have, the, the Democrats have this problem, is because of 
a lot of factors, right? There's a lot of factors, a lot of things going on here. They're, they're, I don't know, they're, they're focused on uh, identity politics. They're focused on issues that they, I don't know, blow out of proportion. This incessant march towards socialism, all this stuff. I just want to say that they want you to think heading into 2020 that, you know, defeating Trump is this is this slam dunk. It's a foregone conclusion. Now, they will shift their gears a little bit on this as it gets closer to election because they don't want to affect turnout. But they want you to think that this is an easy victory. We're really just uh, – the, the Democrat primary process is about selecting who will be the next president because, of course, they're going to beat President President Trump in a – in the 2020 election. So, so goes the story, but you look at the candidates on the stage, you look at the problems that they have and it's, it's a mess. The Democrat party is a mess right now. It is. It's an absolute positive mess. Anyway, that's not the narrative. That's not what they want you to believe, but in fact, it is, it is reality. So I'm going to shift gears here. I want to shift gears here and talk a little bit about an event that I went, uh, went to last night with with my wife on the north side of Indianapolis. Um, we traveled uh, up to an event hosted by Right to Life Indiana. And Right to Life Indiana is, of course, um, focused on defending the rights and the lives of the unborn. And so last night they invited, they had their uh, they had an, an annual gala, uh, a, a dinner, where they, they brought in Ashley Bratcher, who we spoke with on this program a couple of weeks ago. I shared that uh, conversation on on the air here with you. She was uh, a great interview, but also uh, speaking last night. She did a truly phenomenal – the word that came to mind was phenomenal to me. It was a phenomenal – speech, presentation, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call this. And she is uh, the actress, the lead actress of in the movie Unplanned. She played Abby Johnson, whose story is also is, is remarkable. Abby Johnson's story uh, is basically that she had uh, run a Planned Parenthood in, I think it was in Oklahoma. And she... Um, had always worked kind of uh, outside of where the abortion procedures took place. She was managing the office, encountering the women as they, they came in prior to abortion and all that sort of stuff. And she would be the one that sometimes would go through and you know talk them into effectively having an abortion, putting them to ease about what this what this was and right, this is just a clump of cells sort of thing, all that. And one day she was called in to, uh, to, to assist inside the abortion uh, procedure room, and it was a ultrasound-guided abortion taking place. And she watched on the screen to her horror as to what was actually happening. And I don't want to go into detail, but it's, it's, it's graphic what, what she saw on the screen. It, it, it broke Abby Johnson. It broke her heart. It, it messed with her psychologically. She started thinking, I've been here as this procedure has happened over 20,000 times. 
I can't deal with this. And she basically uh, quit her position. There was some intimidation, true intimidation, happening by, uh, by, by Planned Parenthood. And now she goes out and she speaks against abortion. She's, she's telling people what's really going on with Planned Parenthood, which, by the way, is atrocious, repugnant, reprehensible. And she talks about this. They've actually formed an organization that helps people get out of. If, if For those who are working at Planned Parenthood, who don't want to work there but financially don't have a way of, of getting out, they're kind of stuck in a job. They've actually got an organization now that helps people transition. They can quit Planned Parenthood, get help from this organization, and then find a job a career elsewhere that doesn't include killing unborn children. And so, and so that's what Abby Johnson does today, and Ashley Bratcher played, played her in the movie Unplanned. And she talked, uh, she talked about her own personal experiences with abortion. She talked about uh, just, you know, she touched on, I guess, some of the, the issues that actors and actresses face who take roles like this. Right? In fact, she said one of the things that that actor, or excuse me, that the, uh, the production house, who the one that put this, you know, this film together, they asked her before offering her the role, you know, this could blacklist you. Right? She'd wanted to be an actress for some time. She struggled to get started. She'd been rejected. She'd walked that road. Very, very uh, motivating story what she endured just to get this opportunity. And now they're telling her your first big role might blacklist you from ever getting another job. Do you want it? And because she's grounded and rooted in, firmly in her faith, her identities in, in Christ, she, she took the role without any hesitation. Any hesitation. So anyway, it was a great event. It was a great event, and I will talk a little bit about just, I guess, the, the state of uh, this issue, the issue of abortion here in, um, in today's politics, where we're headed, what's going on, but it's time to take a break. It is time for me to take a break. By the way, speaking of that event last night, it reminds me of another event that's coming this Friday, which I invite you to attend. It's a Heaven in Business workshop in Indianapolis on the near the near north side 86th street and it's at Mr. Quick Home Services um that event is geared for those who want to um you know find ways to uh bring their faith into their work and I'm not just talking about say evangelizing I'm talking about not separating your faith from what you from what you do in your everyday life, right? Church is not just something that we do on Sunday. It's it's a it's a relationship with God, and God wants us to be in constant communion with Him. And so, how do you do that at work? And so, they've got a workshop. They're going to teach people um, some some practical ways, some things that that help in this particular uh, area of life, which is critically important to the believer. So, if you want to learn more about that. Go to heaveninbusiness.com, heaveninbusiness.com slash events and click on the one that's in Indianapolis on December 6th. I will be there on Friday, but I've got to take a break. You are listening to the Home of Conservative, Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute.
So what is the state of, I guess, the issue of abortion here in, well, soon to be 2020 here in the next couple of weeks? But what is the state of abortion? You know, I think, you know, I want to pause really quickly. I always say this when I talk about abortion on the show. One of the things that I think is important, and it was demonstrated last night, the group of people we were sitting at at our table, they were a uh, very strong group of pro-life uh, individuals against this idea of, of abortion, strongly so. But not only that, they have a group that helps women who have had abortion. It's not about, it's not about heaping guilt upon anyone. This is about stopping any further abortion taking of the life of an unborn child. If you've been through this or someone you have uh, that's close to you have been through this, please keep in mind that you know this nothing nothing can be done about the decision, but everything can be done about helping that individual, helping that that woman who made that choice to to heal. And there is healing. There is healing uh, from from all uh, all our sins as, as the Bible would tell us. But we can't, it's not about that. It's about what do we do to prevent more of this atrocity. And I think, to me, as I look across the the landscape, and there are definitely troubling things. You heard troubling things last night at the event with the uh, Planned Parenthood. I learned last night, I didn't know this, Planned Parenthood in Indianapolis is effectively a branch of Planned Parenthood in the Northwest. So we're talking some very liberal, radical states They've taken over here locally, have something like, I think he said, a $90 million budget. And they're trying to go after all these laws in Indiana that are designed to protect the rights of the unborn child, you know, the, the life of unborn children. They're going after these things on all fronts. But I think, and that, that's a real concern, by the way. I don't want to minimize that. But there's also a movement. There's a movement amongst yeah, millennials more millennials are actually moving towards pro-life, and I think a lot of this is because of the the technology, the ultrasound imaging, the 4D imaging. You can no longer say that it's just a clump of cells. I mean, how how, how ridiculous is this? I just saw something on 60 Minutes this Sunday after the end of the football game. It was on by happen chance, I guess, and they're talking about these worms that were in these caves that were miles below the the Earth's surface, and they found single-celled organisms, and they they marveled at this. They marveled at this sort of stuff. And the problem is, you find that on Mars, you find a single-cell organism on Mars, and they will flip out. They will tell you that life has been found, and life had been found. But for some reason, and we all know the reason here, politically, you find, quote-unquote, just a clump of cells— in, uh, you know, that's developing into a human, and suddenly it's okay to uh, destroy that life. Anyway, it's quite hypocritical and quite disgusting, if you ask me. But I've got, I'm long here. I've got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. always try to do here is we try to do this in the waning moments of the program here. I always think it's important. I, I, I think sometimes many, let's just say a lot, multiple, many conservatives end up with a, a pessimistic outlook 
on things. And there's definitely reasons to be concerned. There's definitely reasons to be upset at where America is in a lot of ways. But I'm telling you, there's also a lot of reasons to have hope. I think that simply by all the attention given to politics right now, we have the opportunity before us to actually persuade, to actually persuade others to the viewpoint of constitutional conservatism. And it can be done, folks. Not everybody, but some can be persuaded. We've got to persuade them, but I've got to go. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care.